Welcome to The Skinny for Friday, December 29th. I'm Mitch Perry, senior political reporter for the Florida Phoenix, joined by my colleague Ray Rowe, the editor-in-chief for Creative Loafing. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Mitch. Welcome back from the West Coast. Great to be back here. Yeah, eight days in San Francisco Bay Area, but back here in the Tampa Bay Area. Our third partner, Ben Montgomery, is out this week. Ecuador, hiking. Is that right? Is that right? Okay, so um, so again, happy holidays, everybody. And later in the show today, we're going to look back at 2023 by reviewing a Creative Loafing's piece on the Tampa Bay area's 25 most WTF stories of the year, and that should be fun. But first, we're going to talk presidential politics, and joining us on the line right now is a woman running for the Democratic Party's nomination for president uh, in 2024, self-help author and spiritual advisor, Marianne Williamson. Uh, Ms. Williamson, uh, thank you for joining us here on The Skinny on WMNF. Marianne, you're there. So we're uh, getting her um, on the line here. Okay, I thought we heard her there actually. For think, there she is. But Marianne Williamson, can you hear us here? Hey, Marianne, are you there? This is uh, Ray and Mitch here in Tampa. There you go. Can you hear me? Not yet. Maybe we'll have you. Uh... Oh, there she is. Ms. Williamson. Okay, there does seem to be an issue here. It's one of those seven. What are they saying to him? And he said, all good. He hasn't been back. I think they're just live. So, anyway, Mitch is going to handle this. So, Mitch obviously deeply covering the... Um, hey, um, are you good to take her? We can kind of hear you on there. <laughs> live radio is um, is a lot of fun. And we're handle that right now. So Marianne will join us. Obviously, we've had Randy Toller. Is it something about my the the, the ear thing? Bluetooth. Hey Marianne, are you there? We're gonna try to dial back in. They're going to try to dial oh, back God. into us here. All right. Sorry for that little bit of uh, technical hiccups. I know she's driving in a car right now. And so sometimes, um, well, I, I can't really explain that, Ray. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. We're going to get back with them in just a second. Uh, well, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag and say that I'm really happy that Mitch is back. And, uh, you know, Mitch, I don't think you were here. Carrie Kreisman was here uh, on Down and Dirty, and she and her and the former mayor Rick Kreisman of St. Petersburg brought their their seeing eye their dog their guide dog they're like big guide dog people, I think. So we got to meet them, but I'm gonna let the cat out the bag, and uh, tell people that you know Mitch has been traveling, just got here, just picked up his cat. His cat is in the studio with us. Yeah, hopefully we today, haven't so. heard him. Up, uh Purr, as it were, right He now. hasn't purred yet. But, but uh, he's uh, kind of freaked out being in here. But again, uh, well, Ray, hopefully a good holiday for you and your family. It was a great holiday. Um, I, I think um, in our line of work, it's we, we can be very cynical um, sometimes. We're stuck in a news cycle that oftentimes our relatives are not um, stuck in. We're kind of obsessed with things and events, and our lives move at a different pace. So when the holidays come around... It's really nice to be around people whose lives maybe don't revolve it's around. It's their side because we could hear. Okay, we, we can hear Marion Williamson. Marion, can you hear us? Apparently not. 
We should just have her call into the studio. Yeah, yeah. Um, wait, wait, we'll do that. We're gonna. Yeah. Wait. So Mitch is gonna text um, them. And by the way, we'd like to have you join um, this conversation. Um, I know that you know I've had family in town, and we have been talking about. Oh, Marianne, are you there? Hi, I'm here. There How are she you? Is. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Glad we clear that up. Okay, Mary Williamson, thank you, for, sir, very much for joining us here on WMNF. Okay, so let's talk about your presidential race here. Of course, you ran, as many of our listeners will know, back in 2019, 2020, when that was an open field uh, where the Democrats are trying to win back the White House after uh, Donald Trump shockingly defeated Hillary Clinton in the Electoral College in 2016. You're running again. It's a little very different environment this year for you, of course, because Joe Biden was the pre- did win the presidency in 2020. Uh, he's running for re-election, and there's really only a very few of Democrats who are challenging him this year. Um, why are you running again for president in 2024? Well, it's interesting. You say only a few of us are challenging him. Certainly, it's me and Dean Phillips and Jenk is trying to get on the ballot. But I think it's important to remember that although only a few are challenging him, the majority of Democratic voters say that they do want to hear other voices. So when you ask me, why am I running? I'm running because my belief about where the Democratic Party should be, what it will take to defeat Donald Trump or any other Republican candidate in 2024, and what it will take to repair this country is different than the agenda of Joe Biden. That's why I'm running. Well, let's get more into that. But I do, you mentioned this and the other candidates are running. And I, this is something I didn't get to say at the top of the show here. But uh, yourself, along with Dean Phillips and uh, media personality, Jack Huger, you were stunned late last month when you learned that you would not be on the March 19th Democratic presidential primary ballot here in Florida. Now, the Florida Democratic Party says that the rules of the candidates were well known in advance uh, on their website and that their executive committee, which consists of 218 people, met in late October to nominate candidates to appear on the ballot, and they say that only Joe Biden received votes. And now because Florida law says that if only one candidate who qualifies in an election, uh, that means that there won't be an election, basically. And so, therefore, they're saying right now that Joe Biden has basically already won. You're not going to get a chance for Florida voters next March uh, when we have our presidential primary, March 19th. Uh, to people to, to vote for you or for Dean Phillips or for or for uh, Cenk Uygur. What are your thoughts about that? Well, first of all, they're not telling you the truth when they tell you that these rules were up, were well known to everyone and they were up on the site and everybody knew. That's simply untrue. Um, that's number one. Number two, when you say people will not get an opportunity to vote for Dean Phillips, Cenk Uygur or Miriam Williamson, they also won't get a chance to vote for Joe Biden because because the Florida statute says that if there's only one name on the ballot, that that primary is canceled. So this is saying to the voters in Florida, there won't be a Democratic primary. Yeah, correct. So that's- right. And, and, and Marion, and if you're right, McCall, you got, you held a news uh, Zoom press conference about a month or so ago after this happened. And I actually asked you this question, which is, of course, you were on the ballot here, the primary ballot in 2020. And I asked you, like, what did you do different this time than four years ago that, you know, was made, allowed you not to be on the ballot? You said the only thing different is that uh, you, of course, appeared in two presidential uh, debates last time around. Uh, that hasn't happened, of course, this time. So it's more like the folks who who put you on the ballot, right? You, I don't know if you, there's much interaction that you had with these, uh, the Florida Party four years ago. I mean, can you tell us what, what's different now than what you did four years ago at all? 
What's different now is that the Democratic Party has decided. They have been very overt about it. They've said it from the beginning that the DNC sees its role as making sure not only that that um, Joe Biden wins, and of course their role should be to help the Democratic candidate win, but that they they see their role as making sure that Joe Biden is the Democratic candidate. That's the difference. You know, the traditional role of the dem- of any political party is to stay in the background until the voters have spoken. It's the voters who should be making these decisions, the voters, not the party. This is everything that George Washington in his farewell address warned us about. He said that he feared political parties would form factions of men more concerned with their party, that meant more loyal to their party than to their country. It's why John Adams said he saw them as the greatest threat to democracy. So in 2020, the Democratic Party did what the Democratic Party should do. People have been uh, been out there campaigning. Obviously, they're a candidate. Listen, I have been, even though there haven't been debates and because they have not allowed them, you would have to have been under a rock over the last few months to not know that Marianne Williamson is a candidate for president. So they chose. This is their manipulation. They're rushing it through the way they did at a meeting that no one even knew. So when they said to you that these were well-known procedures, that's simply false. And that's why there are all these um, all these court cases that are, are happening, legal cases brought by the Progressive Caucus within the Florida State Democratic Party. A gentleman named Michael Steinberg, who was the chair of the Hillsborough Democrats, he's not some random person, he's bringing a constitutional case. You know, even though the Democratic Party, any political party, is not a government agency. They are performing a quasi-governmental function. There could not be anything more essential to democracy than our elections, particularly our presidential elections. So uh, any political party playing, it's beyond gatekeeper. It's manipulator. It's going to say to the American people, certainly the Floridian voters in, in, in 2020, um, you get to make a choice between, in presumably, if they are architecting it, this now, this would be what Biden and Trump, let's say. They're saying, hey, you're free. You, you can choose whatever you want. But actually, they are the ones who chose, chose the, the, the candidates. Candidate suppression is a form of voter suppression. It should be the Florida voters who see the names of all the people who are credible candidates. And what makes a credible candidate? I am uh, filed with the FEC. I have had national coverage, although the Democratic Party, be very clear here how this country works at this point. There's what I call a political media industrial complex. It is not only something that chops wood and carries water for huge corporate forces. They are a huge corporate force. This is part of the corporate dominance of our country. We already knew that these forces, because of their undue economic influence, have have created in Washington a, a, a system of legalized bribery. Now they've even got their grip on the elections. This is, yeah. this is a crisis. I don't know how, how at what point the American people say, we, you know, we, they've already grabbed our economic system. Now they're grabbing our uh, our electoral system. And it's it's just so, so tragic to me to see the Democratic Party 
become part of this. Again, if you're just tuning into the skinny here in WMNF, we're speaking with Democratic presidential candidate Marianne Williamson here. Uh, Marianne, you are, we should say this to folks who maybe, you know, haven't been paying that much attention. You are actually polling. Let's see, there's a Quinnipiac survey that came out just last week that shows you at 13 percent. Now, that's certainly a far way away from Joe Biden, but that's certainly more than even Dean Phillips, the Minnesota congressman who got in the race in late October, who's probably gotten a little bit more attention, uh, mainstream media attention than yourself. Also, a Fox News survey from November had you at 13 percent and an NBC News poll from November had you at 12 percent. So definitely there are folks who are aware that you're running for president here. I want to go move on, though, to uh, different issues here. And actually, we just heard this at the top of the hour because, you know, it's been kind of quiet in the uh, the holidays here. But, you know, big news in the Republican Party race a couple days ago with Nikki Haley, the South Carolina governor. Uh, She looks like she's facing a crisis in her campaign now when she was asked at a town hall in New Hampshire the other night about what the cause of the Civil War was. And she said she managed to answer without mentioning the issue of slavery. Um, I I wanted to hear your thoughts about that, if I could. First of all, if I may, uh, just go back a little bit. Speaking of Nikki Haley, when you talk about my poll numbers, and, and as you said, of course, Joe Biden is way ahead of me. But Joe Biden is no further ahead of me than Donald Trump is ahead of all of those people, such as Nikki Haley. And yet, if you look at Nikki, if you look at Vivek, when you look at the Republicans and the mainstream attention that they are getting, if Nikki Haley is at 13 percent, they call it a surge. If I'm at 13 percent, it's it's still dismissed and invisibilized by CNN, MSNBC and so forth. And I'd like to point out that if I'm at 30 13 percent when the mainstream media is not even allowing me on think what i might be if they were now dean phillips also has you know tens of millions of dollars in his personal fortune that he has acknowledged he is willing to spend so he has all these television ads so you know it's a money game on so many levels it's a a corporate elite game. It's really something. Now, about Nikki Haley talking about um, the genesis of the Civil War. And of course, that's so ironic that she made that ridiculous comment in New Hampshire. You know, um, not only was it a union state, but New Hampshire also, among white Americans, um, the early churches in New Hampshire, the early evangelical churches in New Hampshire were really primary genesis of the abolitionist movement. So nobody in, in New Hampshire or actually any educated person in America doubts that slavery was the issue in the Civil War. She is trying to play to white supremacists. She is playing there to the alt-right by saying, oh, this was a matter of states' rights. Not just states' rights, states' rights to own slaves. And Abraham Lincoln, you know, he said about the Declaration of Independence, his whole moral uh, core of his argument in as, as president was our Declaration of Independence, which he called an eternal rebuke to all forces of tyranny and oppression. He said, if our main uh, main core ideal is that all men are created equal, then you cannot have slavery. That was absolutely the issue at hand in the Civil War. Uh, in the Civil War, I sense that Nikki Haley knows that now. Not only did she say it, you know, this is the woman who had taken the Confederate flag down uh, from the state house in South Carolina when she was governor. Well, she just put it back up because even when she responded to the criticism, even when she said, oh, of course, it was about slavery. 
Then she went on to say, but it was about so much more. It was about the government telling people what they could do. Yeah, as in you can't own slaves. So um, she does, you know, I'm I'm sure she's a nice woman, but she deserves uh, the criticism that is being heaped upon her at this moment. Marianne Williamson, I want to ask you about foreign policy, if I could. And this is something that, uh, you know, obviously things happen that you can't uh, predict sometimes in terms of with the 2020 race when you were running with the other two de- 20 Democrats or so were running. The issues uh, didn't I didn't hear too much about the issues such as, you know, Russia invading Ukraine, which is what we have right now. We also have the situation, obviously, uh, with Israel and Hamas. Uh, and I guess let's talk about that. I guess you have I believe you have called for a ceasefire in uh, Gaza. Um, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, we, I, the latest proposal floating that came from the Egyptian government, according to NPR, would get more aid into Gaza, exchange more Israeli hostages held in Gaza for Palestinian detainees in Israeli jails, and bring Israel's air and ground campaign in Gaza to a shutdown for the time being. Um, so I think, again, I, I want to hear more of your thoughts there. I mean, I think you, uh, in terms of Israel's initial response and in trying to uh, dismantle Hamas, uh, do you support that? I mean, where, where are we at in terms of because we've heard from Israel that they they can't stop just yet. Right. That they say that they not until they can rid of much of the leadership of Hamas. And although they're killing a ton of civilians in the meantime, uh, again, so if you could elaborate on that. Well, we should in no way minimize the extraordinary evil of October 7th, um, the barbarism. Uh, Hamas is much like ISIS. It is an absolutely evil force. I understand the fury of Israel. I understand Israel's, uh, I understand their stance that they absolutely must, in their mind, destroy all Hamas infrastructure, the tunnels, the military command centers, and so forth. However, the issue then, at what human cost given how many tens of thousands of people have already died, right? Palestinian, innocent Palestinians. And secondly, this is a situation where for every Hamas member they kill, they're probably creating 10 more. So even though the events of uh, October 7th were beyond horrifying, and that should never be minimized, ignored, or peripheralized, It is at the same time true that these events did not come out of nowhere. They simply didn't, and we all know that. And so I agree with those who believe that there's only one formula for success here, and that is ceasefire, release of the hostages, and immediate plans with with an international consortium, obviously led primarily by Arab powers, although the United States should certainly be an active participant for a two-state solution. Um, at this point, I am, I mean, obviously, I believe Hamas is a danger to the world, but I, at the same time, I am not a fan of Bibi Netanyahu. I believe that Bibi Netanyahu's policies over the last 15 years contributed mightily to the situation that is now in front of us, And I believe that his policy now in Gaza uh, and the policy of his right wing government in Gaza is the absolute worst, um, uh, worst path for Israel, for Palestinians and for the region and for the world. And the United States should not be supporting him. 
Yeah, how do you how do you rate President Biden's handling of this crisis? On October 7th, I appreciated his moral clarity. However, on October 8th, that morning, he said, I'm going to be meeting with Jewish American leaders that morning. I would have said, I'm going to be meeting with two groups today, both Jewish American leaders, as well as Arab American, particularly Palestinian American leaders. The United States, going back to um, Abraham Lincoln, our core belief is that all men are created equal. That does not just mean Americans. And the United States should have an equal commitment um, and should be demonstrated with our actions, not just our words, to the safety, security, and sovereignty of both peoples. And I think uh, American presidents, and look, some have tried. I think, to be honest, the American president who had it right and who continued to have it right in his post-presidency was Jimmy Carter. If this was 20 years ago and I had been president, I would have appointed Jimmy Carter as our Middle East um, liaison. Uh, He called it. He named it. And there was still time uh, when things could have moved in a very different direction. Right now, we are where we are. And I do not believe in unconditional uh, military support uh, for Israel. Um, I, you know, and it's not that I don't think we should be supporting Israel. I do believe we should be supporting Israel, just as I believe we should be supporting Palestinians. However, this is not support. You know, you, you say to a friend, sometimes you say to a friend, you shake them by the shoulders and say, you've got to stop. Sometimes you, you say that to a friend. This is not, this is not it. Uh, the fact that you support someone doesn't mean that you support them in doing things that you feel are wrong. You simply don't. And that's where I believe we are. So when you ask me, where do I believe uh, Biden is? I think at the beginning, you know, Biden in this issue, as in so many issues, he's in a very 20th century mindset. You know, he's a he's a kind of 1995 kind of guy. And this is not where the world is uh, today in anything. And so I believe that the president is indicating, okay, this has got to slow down, but come on, give me a break. Every day, Palestinian children are dying, and this is unacceptable to me and would be unacceptable to me as president. Again, if you're just tuning in here to the Skinny here in WMF, we're speaking with Democratic presidential candidate Marianne Williamson here. Uh, Marianne Williamson, I want to ask you also about Ukraine. The White House has spent around $111 billion since the war started nearly two years ago. And the State Department announced on Wednesday a $250 million uh, Ukraine aid package. The Biden administration has asked Congress for a supplemental package, including more than $60 billion for Ukraine that has stalled over the past few months. Uh, there's been obviously criticism by Republicans that the president needs to make the case to the American public about why it's in our best interest for this funding to continue. Uh, they say they hasn't made the sale to the American public. And there is even growing numbers of independents who are uh, seemingly more skeptical about increased funding for the Zelensky government in Ukraine. What are your thoughts there? At the beginning of this crisis, I was with the president. Um, I understand the United States does not have totally clean hands on this issue. I understand that in terms of NATO, and I understand that in terms of the Aegis missiles. However, none of that to me, none of it justifies the atrocious behavior of um, of Vladimir Putin. I do not think any of that justifies his invasion of a sovereign nation. And I do believe that it's in America's best interest to stop pretending that we're that we have nothing to do with the rest of the world. It is a very, very bad signal. Uh, for the rest of the world, particularly the bad guys in the world, to think that they can just take a take a piece of any somebody else's country. 
Having said that, we are at a different point. I hoped, as I think most of us did, that the counter, um, the counteroffensive uh, waged, uh, staged by the Ukrainians would work. It has not. It has not driven the Russians out. At this point, the Russians and the Ukrainians are in kind of a stalemate. It's a bit of a war of attrition. Uh, we have heard from uh, Vladimir Putin. He is willing to talk. Also, we can't ignore the fact that there is definite evidence that there had been opportunities uh, for negotiation much, much earlier um, that the United States itself has not supported. I have always recognized that the only solution here uh, was a negotiated settlement. But as I've said many times, I wanted to be a negotiated settlement when there is still a Ukraine to negotiate. My concern now is if this continues like it is, it could actually get worse rather than better for Ukraine. So given what is at the moment, I would be open to having a conversation uh, with Vladimir Putin and um, taking a next step towards the possibility of a negotiated settlement at this point. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Marianne Williamson. She's a best-selling author, political activist, and spiritual thought leader. She's also running for president here in 2024. And by the way, if you want to join the conversation, you can call in 813-239-9663 or send us an email at djwmnf.org. A uh, question for you, uh, Marianne. Um, you know, some polls, we're talking about Nikki Haley and her numbers. Uh, they show her leading Biden by four points. Um, <clears throat> Trump's eligibility in this election has started to become a point of uh, conversation. We don't know how that's going to play out. You know, it could not be resolved maybe by the election, but how does news like that um, affect the way uh, your campaign, uh, how does this affect your strategy here? I mean, let's say he's not on the ballot. I'm sure Nikki Haley would love that, but what does that mean for you? I mean, we think Biden beats Trump, but um, does he beat Nikki Haley? And, and would you stand a better chance against her? Well, it doesn't affect my strategy at all because my strategy is to tell the truth as I understand it. Let's be very clear because the recent comments about the Civil War demonstrate this. If anything, Nikki Haley is further to the right than Donald Trump. So in my mind, she's no, her, not she is a person, but in my mind, her agenda and her political beliefs are no less undermining of, to me, the principles of, um, of, of democracy that make this country all that it can be. So I, I think that what is going to take Donald, to beat Donald Trump is the same as what it's going to take to beat Nikki Haley. You know, the Democrats, the DNC, traditional Democrats, seem to think that if it's Trump, a large part of how we're going to beat him is by scaring people, even scolding people. That's not going to work in 2024. This is a different race than 2020. This is going to be more like 2016. We're going to win by offering the American people a much better deal. That's what we're going to, how we're going to win. So, and I think that in a way, it's going to even be a tougher sell with Nikki Haley because she has a cross, you know, she comes across as the, as the adult in the room. And, you know, I, I want to be careful here because I don't want to be like personally, you know, uh, criticizing the woman, but I do think her personal affect makes it easy to underestimate the extremism of her political views. Okay. Well, That's what's going on in this country. So um, I, I think, you know, my strategy would be the same, whether it's Donald Trump 
or Nikki Haley. It would be presenting to the American people uh, uh, the the option of an of an alternative, an primarily an economic alternative, a a an economic bill of rights, universal health care, which they have in every other advanced democracy and which uh, the majority of Republicans as well as Democrats want. Uh, universal tuition-free college and tech school, which they have in every other advanced democracy and which a majority of Republicans as well as Democrats want. Subsidized child care, paid family leave, affordable housing, a guaranteed living wage, um, a peace department, a, 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 a declaration of peace, a, a, an undermining of this war machine that now dominates Washington with all the warmongers that are in power in that town, a, a department of children and youth, and ending America's drug war. I want to inspire people. I want to make people feel here is an agenda by which your life can be better. Because, you know, the thing for me is I'm a woman who remembers when America had a thriving middle class. I remember when the average American worker could afford a house and could afford a car, could afford a yearly vacation, could afford for one parent to stay home. One salary could support a family of four and they could afford to send their kids to college. That was in my lifetime as a young woman. I remember it. And yet now over the last few decades, there has been a $50 trillion transfer of wealth out of the hands of the bottom 90% of Americans. Today, we are a broken nation. Despair is everywhere. The Biden administration, the Biden administration, where they see data, I look at the despair. And and you have people now crushed by debt, one in four Americans with, with medical debt, tens of Americans crushed by college loan debt, people, the homelessness rate, the highest it's been, child poverty rate higher than in any other advanced democracy, a mental health crisis. We need more than incremental change. We need more than tweaking things here and there. We need to turn the ship around before it hits the iceberg. And that's what my agenda represents. All right. Uh, Democratic presidential candidate Marianne Williamson. Marianne, we had some more questions for you. We know you have to go. Uh, would you, for our listeners out there who want to help support your campaign, what should they do? Uh, they should go to Marianne2024.com. Marianne2024.com. And please know how grateful I am. Well, we're very grateful for your time this morning. Democratic Prime, Democratic Party presidential candidate Marianne Williamson with us here on WNSS Skinny. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. All right. What do you think, Mitch? Do you think it's a travesty that, that she ended up on the ticket? Do you believe her when she says things like they're not telling us the truth about the way the Florida Democratic Party handled uh, that selection process? Yeah, so let's get into that part of it. And hopefully our listeners, um, I know we've got somebody calling in here and we, I, we just threw the number out. And unfortunately, I have a chance to speak with Ms. Williamson uh, yourself directly, but you can talk to us about that or what you just heard there. Yeah, and let's talk about that for a moment uh, because there is, as she mentioned, Michael Steinberg, who's from Tampa here. Uh, he has filed a lawsuit uh, in federal court in Tallahassee in the federal district uh, regarding the omission of of all the other candidates other than Joe Biden. I, I've done some stories about this, Ray, and what's interesting is uh, the Democratic Party says, you know, again, they did nothing wrong, okay? Their take is, now the deadline was November 30th, right? So that's when they announced, and what we heard last or last month was right before, the day before I think it was, when we heard from Dean Phillips and Marion Williamson, their outrage that they weren't going to be on this ballot, was um, the Democratic Party said, hey, we never heard from you guys, okay? You guys, and... You know, and so that's what they said. 
And But when we learned is that their executive committee, which I guess every four years they do this, they meet and they decide on who's going to be on the ballot. They got together in the end of October. There's 218 members and they're all types of like county chairmen and com- committee people. And I don't know if there's any elected officials on that, probably. But nevertheless, apparently when they met in late October, the only people who got votes was Joe Biden, which – Maybe I mean I I can I'll, that's I believe that 100 percent I believe that the question is why did Joe Biden only Joe Biden get uh, votes now Dean Phillips announced I believe on October like just days before they actually met uh, and so it had been well public well publicized depending on I guess how much information you're trying to gather Dean Phillips of course was trying to get a big name Democrat a Gretchen Whitmer a Gavin Newsom to join in the Democratic presidential race none of them were doing that as we all know. So he himself got in in late October. So maybe he's not that well known by any of the Democrats who were voting for this. Marianne Williamson, as we said, uh, um, Ray, she's getting, uh, you know, it's not extraordinary, but it's better than Dean Phillips, better than any other Democrat other than Joe Biden. She's getting 12 percent, 13 percent in some of these polls. So why didn't any Democrat know about her? What she t- says to me, told me a month ago that. They didn't really do anything differently four years ago when she was on the ballot. So what is the difference? So, so it's the Democratic Party's people who apparently who were aware four years ago that she was running because they saw her in a primary. So, of course, she's going to be a candidate. So, again, from what I understand now, and maybe I'll get an email from the Democratic Party later today about this, um, about how I'm mischaracterizing this. But it seems like uh, now they're saying, again, that the Democrats are saying, like, hey, you need to come to us, that, you know, and, and which makes sense. But um, did everybody come to them four years ago, for example, uh, you know, to, to announce that they were running? Or did their own people who, put, who were responsible for placing these candidates on their own initiative, since they're the ones with the power to put this on there? This is something that the Steinberg uh, lawsuit is challenging. So, you know, I, 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 I do think that it's uh, – and this is not the only state. There's a couple other states. I think Massachusetts, she's been left off the ballot. She's very unhappy about that. There's also, I think, North Carolina that is not – that it's only having Joe Biden on the ballot. Uh, a couple of these – there's two or three other states, I believe, maybe more at this point. I wrote a story about this just two weeks ago. It's interesting. One state where even if you don't have – there's only, like, one can on the ballot, you can also vote for, like, not none of the above, but uh, no – you can you have another choice. Again, state law in Florida says – and this goes for a local election, too. If there's, that's why Lewis, we had Louis Sevier here a couple weeks ago, Tampa City Councilman. He didn't get an opponent uh, for his uh, race earlier this year, so he didn't have an election because he was declared the winner automatically when the qualifying became. So the, the bottom line is for Florida Democratic voters who – look, I mean, Joe Biden is uh, – Obviously, we've seen these polls. We've talked about them for months, and not every Democrat is in line with Joe Biden and would like to see competition for whatever reason. The party himself, they, they're all afraid of – they always bring up the Jimmy Carter, Ted Kennedy of 1980, where Jimmy Carter, who many people compare in some ways to uh, Joe Biden in terms of his presidency, uh, you know, there was, there was issues there. Ted Kennedy took him on, so did Jerry Brown in 1980. Uh, it, with, the bottom line is Jimmy Carter lost the race to Ronald Reagan, general election, the perception being that wounded him. So, the, so that, that's why Democrats don't want to have a contested primary. This time around, they also mentioned when George H.W. Bush was challenged by Pat Buchanan in 1992. Nevertheless, it, for some people, it smells bad. Okay, I'll just say that. 
Yeah, I guess it's so strange. You know, you talk about Jimmy Carter, and and to some people, they don't even. Some people who are voting in this election don't even know who Jimmy Carter is, right? And the obsession with the world as as it was, um, and the way that maybe um, it plays now is 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 crazy. But it makes total um, total sense here. It was uh, fascinating to have um, Marianne on, and I'm definitely having flashbacks of 2016 um, sitting at New World Brewery and talking to a few of my friends who cast protest votes that year um, and just wondering how it's all going to play out. Well, you know, um, you have a lot of, by the way, we, there's going to be a lot of, we do, there already are third-party candidates. Cornell West, we know, is running and there's a certain amount of, a uh, certain, maybe it's very tiny, but nevertheless, percentage of voters, progressive voters who may vote for him. Jill Stein, the Green Party, well, she, again, does not have the Green Party nomination. She was the Green Party candidate in 2016. We know Hillary Clinton, Some I know personally some Hillary Clinton supporters who loathe Jill Stein because she feels that her votes she got in some of the battleground states hurt Hillary Clinton against Donald Trump. Robert F. Kennedy, we haven't mentioned him at all. <laughs> He's a real wild card. Uh, he is running as an independent now and polls very well. P- polls better than uh, Williamson or any, uh, well, you know, he was running for the Democratic primary, we should say, up until a few months ago. Um, and he continues to, I- I'm kind of amazed by it actually how well he does. I mean, 20% I've seen in some polls. Maybe it's not going to be anything near that at the end of the day. And then you've got the uh, no, was it the reform uh, or the no labels party who doesn't have a candidate yet? I don't know what they're doing, but uh, they're and they they already have a ballots in Florida. By the way, you know in other states it's very hard to get ballot access. The Greens are on the ballot here in Florida uh, next year. The, um, the the reform party is. Uh, we don't know who the candidates are yet. So there's going to be a plethora of candidates because people don't really want. A lot of people don't want the Trump Biden reelection. Okay, they just don't. And I think that um, it's really kind of. Too bad that uh, we don't have more. This is what we hear, you know, often many election cycles. But going back to saying with the Florida Democratic Party, again, Florida Democrats, you're not going to have a, a primary uh, unless unless this, you know, something happens to this lawsuit. With, you know, I don't know. That doesn't seem to make it is sad because people do like to vote. And again, I think we do have some phone calls coming in here. 813-239-9663. If you want to join us, we have someone on uh, joining uh, yeah, us Yeah, we've got uh, John, I believe it is from Dade City. John? Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, John Russell here. Uh, so I've had my uh, my uh, interactions with the Democratic Party when I ran for Congress. Uh, uh, yeah, quite a few years right. ago now. The okay. odds, yeah. And uh, so, uh, uh, Marianne Williamson, uh, I think she's um, a little late to the game here from the standpoint of figuring out that the uh, Florida Democratic Party, uh, that the Democratic Party uh, writ large is not going to play ball with her. And, uh, you know, Mr. Kennedy has, uh, uh, you know, came to that conclusion reluctantly and is running as an independent. And um, uh, I I think, uh, as you're saying, um, there's going to be, um, uh, this is going to be a different election. Uh, What my prediction would be, um, they're hanging on to Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a uh, sacrificial lamb. Uh, relative to what's going on in Gaza and, and is um, not just uh, you know the Ukraine and the Israel uh, conflagrations going on, and uh, so look for uh, Gavin Newsom to be uh, somehow uh, shoehorned in there as the Democratic nominee um, for. My money. That's uh, what Ron DeSantis says, by the way. <laughs> a lot of Republicans <laughs> believe it's going to be Gavin Newsom. Yeah, yeah. I think so, my stomach just so turned. We have, a, we, have a, we have a little bit of a fiasco uh, 
going here for the average uh, observer. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm predicting Gavin Newsom will be uh, the, the guy they put in there on the Democratic side. And I think this offers a great opportunity for Mr. Kennedy, who, uh, if, um, you know, obviously he's not given much, much uh, mainstream uh, coverage. Um, and uh, I'd like to see you uh, interview uh, Mr. Kennedy. Uh, he's been more than um, open to talking to all kinds of uh, interviewers, and he's uh, certainly on a national scale doing much um much better than uh, than really uh, uh, was ex- anticipated or right. projected. Right, Correct. I feel like, uh, like I said, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, good idea, John. Yeah. Hey, John, well, yeah, I, I, I feel like uh, our RFK would be a fact-checking nightmare on, on live radio, um, but I'm, I'm curious, since we do have you on the phone and you're obviously really plugged in, the election's a year away, or it's less than a year away at this point. How do you think you're – I'm curious. Could you tell us your political affiliation? How do you think you're going to vote uh, here? Okay, I'm still still actually a registered Democrat. And, um, you know, knowing how – look, we have what I call the corporatist nation, a duopoly. Um, You never see any discussion about tax policy. Um, We always have this – uh, this dance where everyone, you know, there's no one, uh, even Bernie, now Bernie Sanders, I'm getting emails from Bernie Sanders, you know, uh, complaining about, um, you know, Ukraine and uh, as well as Israel and so on and so forth, when he, he has said nothing. And I'm a former supporter of Bernie Sanders, you know, going way back, much, uh, very reluctantly uh, admitting that at this point. And so, my uh, my vote is going to not be for a Democrat or a Republican. Most likely, one way or the other is going to be for Mr. Kennedy. I'm involved in the in the Kennedy campaign, uh, you know, full stop, because he offers. If people look at him, you know, everything uh, everything that Marianne Williamson was mentioning, he knows how to he knows how the gears mesh, and the bottom line is. Uh, we need someone who can take this thing apart where it needs to be. That is the, the governmental uh, uh, situation, everything from from the war machine, bringing the troops okay. home and uh, reinvesting yeah. in America and health care. And I'm a health care professional. So. All right, John, we got we have to move on. Thank you so much. Thanks, though. Great to talk to you. It. Appreciate the time. OK, Just thank you. Up. We also got a, a text here. We, I mentioned Jill Stein a moment ago. Uh, Jill Stein, I don't know if this is a supporter, but nevertheless wants to uh, school us here, says people would think that Joe, Jill Stein played any role in putting Trump to the White House in the White House. Like, and they mentioned Dan Ruth and Mark Biro are still 100% wrong. The most direct route for that to have happened is an exceedingly torturous one. It involves no less than 92% of Stein voters in no fewer than three states. Every single one of them would have had to have switched their vote from Stein to Hillary, with none of them not vote with yeah, with none of them not voting or voting for someone other than Hillary. Okay, well, thank you. Got that in there. Uh, okay, we, let's go back to the phones here. We've got uh, Stephen from St. Petersburg. Hey, how you doing? Sir? Hey, good morning. Yeah, I was listening to the show. Um, you know, we wish the Democratic Party was the party of FDR, JFK, LBJ, but it's not. And we, you know, and we all thought we all voted for Barack Obama twice. I wish everything Fox News said about him was true. Unfortunately, Barack Obama ended up being Reagan 2.0. Joe Biden is 
that Bill Clinton and uh, uh, Joe Biden are basically just different versions of Reaganism. And, you know, we have to come to the conclusion that working people uh, need to have an alternative because when you look at the situation, even during the four years of Joe Biden, the eight years of Barack Obama, I always hear the uh, Unaffordable Care Act is a big piece of legislation that was passed that really did not benefit people that need universal health care in the United States. And hey, Stephen, I have a question. Stuff. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you have a question. Yeah. So, you know, we, in 2020, there was a lot of Democrats running, as we mentioned earlier, over 20. Uh, who, was your, who was your candidate back then? Was it, was it Sanders? or? Well, well Bernie Sanders uh, is a tragedy. Um, Bernie Sanders, in his speeches, would lift you up. Uh, crowds of 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 even gave a speech at the big house uh, in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, filled that stadium up, almost 80,000 people. Bernie Sanders had, had it in his hand. He whipped Joe Biden in the first four primaries. They weren't even close. Joe Biden was ready to drop out. And keep in mind, Joe Biden, the infamous career of Joe Biden, had dropped out of three presidential runs in his career because of everything from plagiarism to uh, misconduct right, right. in his, his political But, but anyway, life. well, hold on, though. But, but anyway, Steve, if I yeah, you, the clear, tragedy of Bernie Sanders, what, what do you mean by that? Well, what it was is what the Democratic Party and Donna Brazile wrote in her book that Hillary Clinton fixed the primaries against Sanders. Nobody dreamed that he would have challenged her in 2016. Should have beaten her. Okay. And Donna Brazile admitted that the DNC rigged it against Sanders. Now, Sanders running against Biden had had the uh, uh, the nomination. Nobody, he won the state of California. Nobody was that close of getting the nomination. Okay. And then all of a sudden, Joe Biden's just about to ready to drop out. And then Sanders starts losing primaries, and then fake progressive Liz Warren stays in there enough to cipher votes to get, uh, away from Bernie. And then Bernie lays down like a sheepdog and says, Joe Biden is a good friend of mine. Right. The coronavirus happened at that time, to too. And then they all, it all folded at that time, March of 2020. I, I remember that very vividly. Anyway, we have to run, Stephen. Thank you. Yeah, we have some more phone calls here. Thanks for uh, the calls, everyone. 813-239-9663 if you want to join us. It's interesting, by the way, I'm reading this book, uh, The Squad, by uh, Ryan Grimm from uh, Huffington Post. It's about AOC and the squad members oh, and Bernie and that 2020 race. It's very interesting. By the way, I think Stephen said he, Bernie wrote, wrote, ran California. I don't believe that's correct, actually. Bernie Sanders uh, came in basically first or tied first in Iowa with Pete Buttigieg, definitely won New Hampshire, and then Biden won South Carolina, and it was pretty much game over because uh, the, all the other candidates or many of the candidates dropped out, and they all got behind Joe Biden. I think they were freaked out. It's very reminiscent of actually 1988. Uh, Jesse Jackson, uh, who had ran in 84, Ran in 88 again, and there was a big field in candidates at that time, Democrats, and got caught fire. And all of a sudden, there was a real f- concern or fear, you might say, among some Democrats that, like, Jesse Jesse could not win a general election against George H.W. Bush. 
um, and therefore they had to stop him. And you know, he Michael Dukakis became the nominee. There was some of that going on, I believe, with the Democrats in 2020, where they were freaking out about Bernie Sanders, who gave an interview on CBS in 60 Minutes and talked favorably about Fidel Castro. And people here in Florida said, "Well, forget about Florida. That's out now." And of course, uh, he did not. Bernie did win. Uh, excuse me. Biden did beat Bernie pretty decisively in the March primary here in 2020. But that's right. It's interesting. So all those candidates rallied around Biden, the Democratic Party, and then COVID happened. Right. You know, right in the middle, uh, right before our primary. I remember covering that. Nobody really even cared. I mean, he was already freaking out. I covered the Clearwater election that night when Frank Hibbard won, actually. And anyway, it, you know. It, God speed, Frank <laughs> Yeah, we mentioned him the other day. Anyway, so uh, interesting stuff. Uh, let's see here. We got, uh, yeah, we got another call here. I guess, Ray, we're not going to be able to talk it's about It's fine. I'll plug it. I'll plug it at the end. I'm really enjoying kind of engaging. Yeah. And, uh, another, sorry, excuse me. Yeah. So another, uh, call, you said what this person, uh, Charles writes, and your caller who wasn't going to vote for a Democrat or Republican this time makes good points, but this time and last time, we do not have the luxury of voting against both major parties. I held my nose and voted for Biden last time, just like I probably will this time, because our choice is voting for democracy or fascism. Even though either way, we wind up with continuing the existing oligarchy, there really is no gray area now. And let's go to Jason, who is calling in from uh, Valrico. Jason. Yes, hello. Yeah, I was just wondering, I hear all these callers, and I also, you know, I, I hear time and time again, you know, a lot of people who were behind Bernie, and, um, you know, there's not a single idea he has that I wouldn't agree to or agree with. But, you know, the the idea is... You know, what kind of a political environment do they think that we live in? We don't have the luxury of having a president who's able to just go ahead and, and, and deem what should be done and then do it. There are, other, there are other branches of government that have a say in all of this. So, you know, a person like Biden, he's done things that, you know, it's just miraculous that he could do in the political environment that's so evenly divided that we have right now. So, you know, expectations are part of our are the biggest part of our problem. You know, you could we could have elected Bernie Sanders. And if we did come the midterms, all those enthusiastic young people would not have showed up to give him the kind of legislature that he needs to pass any of these bills. So, again, you know, the point is, is that we're not you know, we're not in an environment where, you know, you can just, uh, you know, elect the. Affordable Care Act by getting someone in there in there who's for it. You have to have an entire Congress sure. that's willing to sure. put that in. I place. hear you, Jason. So, what are you? Who are you looking to vote for then in, in next year's election? Joe Biden. We are, yeah. We're up against. We're, we're we are we are going to have fascism if we do not vote for for somebody who can win against Trump. It's the bottom line. If he gets in there, he's already told you. He's going to be dictator for a day. Yeah, right, for a day. Right. With the way that the GOP is going, do you think we're ever going to not have a choice between somebody like Joe Biden and fascism or something like that? Or no, do you think for the rest of our lives we're doomed to Ray make, Ray making this now. decision? Yeah, that's me, Ray, not Mitch talking, by the way. Yeah, I don't believe we ever will, no. We, we, we're not, we're not, we're too, um, we're too, um, you know, uh, fearful of and we are too divorced from politics because of how how convoluted it is to get anything done. So people shy away from it. So they don't even pay attention to what's going on. And then when it comes time to vote, well, he's for this. So I'm going to vote for him. Well, that's not the way it works. 
the way it works is that you have to have enough of a majority to get anything passed, and that means both Congress, that, that means Congress, the presidency, and, as we're finding out, the judiciary. Yes, all the different issues there. Jason, thank you for the Thanks call. Thanks so much for the call. Uh, you know, playing, going off what I said a moment ago, Ray, uh, this person writes in and says, regarding Bernie, the only reason Bloomberg, referring to, of course, new, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, was on anyone's radar running for anything was to cripple Bernie in the primaries. Bernie's not established enough for the party. You know, it is interesting, Michael Bloomberg, who did come in very late in the presidential process and uh, I think... You know, I forget exactly when, but it was very late. And who was a regular visitor to the Bay Area, I felt like? He, uh, he did lot. things with Rick Kreisman mm-hmm. down in St. Petersburg. He did. He was very involved with the mayors, uh, this, uh, you know, gun control groups and the like, and uh, environmental groups. Uh, and he he, it was an, he did not do very well to be you know, to say remember Elizabeth Warren tore him up in one of the debates uh, and he spent so much money he didn't get I don't know if he got a single delegate uh, and that is interesting though but the, the the listeners response that that was part of what I was saying in terms of the Democratic establishment uh, I thought Bloomberg actually had a lot to offer um, I, I but that's just you know in terms of uh, in, in, uh, other than his extreme wealth in terms of, to fund a lot of different organizations maybe he you know he's certainly not a very charismatic man uh but I also like, you know, okay, this is crazy. Gina Raimondo, I don't know, he, who I think it reminds me of him in terms of being a technocrat. She's the uh, Commerce Secretary under uh, Biden right now. Uh, okay, we only, guess we only have a minute, a minute and a half to go here. Uh, we were going to talk about the, the biggest issues of, uh, or the or creative vote thing. Yeah, we were. Dude, it's fine. The beauty of a print product is it sits on the stands for seven days, ours in particular, which you're deeply familiar with, Mitch Perry. So, I obviously love the show. I love being here with Mitch. There's so many legends about Mitch coming into the creative loafing office at four in the morning um, and working the, the, the true political animal. So, yeah, I mean, you can pick this up for an entire week. There's a giant alligator on the cover wearing a Publix apron uh, because there, there was a, a gator removed from a Publix parking lot. We got the Sun Runner. It's very there's and, some there's some good comedy in there. Um and, and Colin Wolf, we got to give him credit. Yeah, yeah. He a lot of these Colin is—he's like the guy. We both touch every story on, on the paper, but he packages them. He sees them. They live in his brain forever. And this I, is like his big purge I, I at the end of the, the year. One of the stories is the Hillsborough County Commissioner is giving an award for community service to Rodney Howard Brown, who cured Zika, apparently a pastor um, um, in Tampa. Tampa Bay. I don't. I mean, it must be like this in every region. But geez, the stories are crazy. So that that yeah, issue. I did not know that he actually said the entire. Uh, coronavirus was planned at an event in New York. It was organized by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It's wild. And then, like, the sheriff was having coffee with him, like, after he got arrested. It is... It's a great story. Colin, big ups to you. Thanks to all the readers who bring us these tips and things like that. It can't be understated. And thanks for all the calls today. I thought today was a really yeah. great show, and it's nice to be engaged with our listeners. Um, it's great to be here on the radio on WMNF Tampa. Joe Ellen Shilke is in Studio One, coming in here with Art in Your Ear. My name is Ray Rowe. I've been joined by my esteemed colleague, Mitch Perry, who's back from San Francisco. Thank Jaw, God, whoever. Skip Sassy on the boards here. DJ Spaceship on the telephones for us. Thank you, Spaceship. Please join us again um, next week. This has been The Skinny. Welcome back to Tampa, Mitch. Great to be here. And we'll have uh, Representative Lindsey uh, Cross from St. Petersburg on the show next week. And then Mitch is running away to Tallahassee. There you go. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. <laughs>